Well, we, we all understand that we are to uh, trust the Lord. Uh, we're to walk with him and that he is sovereign over circumstances, that he is the one uh, who will work in us and do through us what he desires. And we, we trust him. And yet uh, there is a portion or a, uh, a, a an element of our responsibility in that trust. If you look in scripture, you look at those who trusted the Lord, we see that their faith worked. Their faith worked, that true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, believing his word, trusting in him, caused them to then obey his word and step out and do what he says. You know, sometimes when we are in difficult situations and we are praying, we are just waiting on the Lord. And yes, we are to wait on the Lord. And we saw that earlier in Psalm 37. But as we're going to see today, maybe as we wait, there are things that we should be doing in the context of faith so that we are ready when the Lord opens the door for what we're praying about. Turn your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8. And I believe we're going to learn how to deal with impossible situations. We're going to see the second half of what we started last week. And we're going to look at Nehemiah's awesome example of faith working. I mentioned this last week from uh, Romans chapter 15. We have these things written in earlier times for our, that through the perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We can look at these events and God will use those to encourage us then to trust the Lord. Now, as we're going through the book of Nehemiah, we've, uh, we've seen this incredible book begin, and I want to go through the context just to bring us up to that, but a little bit less each time. If you want, if you're just joining us in this series, feel free to go back and listen to the earlier ones that have a lot of context in them. But after the conquest of Canaan for the Israelites, uh, they were in the land for 490 years. And after Solomon died, because of his sin, the kingdom was divided north and south. Uh, Northern Kingdom, Israel, Southern Kingdom, Judah. And during the time leading up to the exile, the prophets such as Isaiah and Jeremiah uh, to different groups, Israel and Judah, warned of the coming destruction because of Israel's disobedience in their relationship with the Lord and Judah's disobedience. It warned that they'd be taken captive. And certainly Israel was taken into captive by the Assyrians, and then soon after Judah would be taken captive by the Babylonians. And within this, during this captivity, during this 70-year captivity in Babylon, we see that uh, the Persians defeated the Babylonians in 539. And at this point, the Persian king Cyrus uh, took over and he changed the foreign policy concerning captive peoples. And he decreed in 538 that the Jews could return to their homeland and rebuild their temple. We see that in Ezra chapters 1 through 3. Now, that was the first of three returns that are revealed in Scripture. Indeed, in that first return, 500 devout Jews chose to left Babylon, where they'd become rather comfortable, and they went to their beloved Jerusalem to worship the Lord and to rebuild the temple. And within a year, they had laid the foundation, but yet there were difficulties, there were opposition, and they stopped. But yet eventually, through the preaching of uh, Zechariah and Jeremiah, and, and, um, and, um, Haggai, uh, they finished and completed the temple. Ezra 6.15 reveals that was done in 5.16. Now, in the book of Ezra, it's important to realize that Ezra, we have Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, that Ezra actually chronicles two different time periods. 
In chapters 1 through 6, we have the first return with a portion in chapter 4 we'll look at today, which has some, uh, which looks at the difficulties that each group, uh, uh, three that came will find. We'll talk about that in a minute, the different time periods. But basically, 1 through 6, the first return, and then 7 through the end, chapters, the second return, which included Ezra himself. And then in Nehemiah here today, which we're looking at, it is the third return that we're going to look at. So then, Nehemiah is going to come to uh, this time, as we're going to see, he's going to return to Jerusalem, as we'll see that way being paved for him today, and that will be, as we're going to see in 444 B.C. Now, if you were with us in the past few weeks, uh, you know that Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. This is an extremely high position in the Persian Empire. Uh, he is the cupbearer to the world's superpowers leader. It's an extremely high position. And it's thought, uh, and, and then we saw actually last time in chapter 1 that he had heard about the condition of the Jews in Judah uh, and also of the walls of Jerusalem, and he was greatly grieved. He was greatly grieved. And so that, that they were in great distress, and the, and the walls and the gates were burned, gates were burned with fire. You know, it's my thought, Nehemiah thought possibly that Ezra, who had gone 13 years earlier, had made some progress, possibly, uh, but that obviously hadn't happened. There was still opposition, and he mourns, and then he prays, he prays, and as we saw, he prayed for four months, and then in the end of that prayer, as we saw in the end of chapter one, it became apparent that God had placed on his heart that Nehemiah was the man that would be used by God to answer the prayer. But this is an impossible situation for Nehemiah. This is a difficult situation. You see, uh, it's impossible because Nehemiah is the king's cupbearer, a very, very important position. And within that, having such a key position, it was highly unlikely that the king would allow him to go. And yet the Lord had put on his heart, as we saw, that he was the one to do this. And he wants to be used by the Lord to help those in Judah and Jerusalem. So then last week we saw how we should respond to impossible situations. We began to look, and we saw that Nehemiah prayed, that we need to pray, and within that prayer we need to acknowledge God's greatness, that he is far above any situation. He is far above anything that this life or man could bring upon us. And we need to not give up. We need to be persistent while we intercede for his people. And we also need to confess sin as it relates to the situation that we are in. And then we saw through his example, he reminded the Lord of the promises in his word that applied to the circumstance. And then he gave his specific request, which is at the end of the chapter, which we'll read in a minute, that, that God would grant him success and compassion before the king as he was the king's cupbearer. So with that in mind, today we're going to see Nehemiah's awesome example of faith working. A lot of people have faith. A lot of people have faith. James chapter 2, the writer says, uh, uh, you say you have faith? Well, I'll show you faith by my deeds. Faith is going to be manifest in a life that is changed and different. So then we're going to see Nehemiah's awesome example of faith. Okay, let's take a look at our passage. It's actually Nehemiah 2 verses 1 to 8, but I want to start one verse earlier in chapter 1 verse 11. O Lord, I beseech thee, may thine ear be attentive to the, to the prayer of thy servant and the prayer of thy servants who delight 
to revere thy name and make thy servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. Then we have our passage. And it came about in the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, why is your face sad though you were not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should, why should my face not be sad in this, when the city, the place of my father's tombs lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? Then the king said to me, what would, what would you request? What would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it please the king and your, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah to the city of my father's tombs that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will your journey be and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and I gave him a definite time. And I said to the king, if it please the king, let letters be given for, for the governors of the provinces beyond the river that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah and a letter to the, to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the, of, of the fortress, which is by the temple for the wall of the city and for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them, and the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me. This is a tremendous passage. And I don't think we understand the pressure that Nehemiah was under uh, when he understood what God's will was to go before the king. The pressure that was under him to go and ask for these things. So then four months have gone by. Nehemiah has come to the point where he has asked God to make him successful and then to grant him compassion before this man, which is the king. And today is the day that he's going to go before the king. And he's going to bring forth his request. But we need to remember that for God, nothing is impossible with God. That for God, he moves the hearts of the kings like water flowing in a hand. And so then, we have a man who truly desires to serve God and walk rightly. And what we're going to see today is that if you have a right walk with the Lord and you're trusting him, there's going to be a balance between God's sovereignty and our responsibility our responsibility. You see, we get people that get caught up on both sides of these things. They get caught up on God's sovereignty and they never do anything. Or they get caught up on human responsibility and they do everything apart from God. You have these extremes uh, that are nothing, uh, that, that have nothing to do with someone who's really walking with the Lord. You see, we need to have a balanced view in our walk with the Lord. We walk by faith uh, and we trust him, but that doesn't mean we're never going to do anything. There are things that we are to do, things we are called to do and step out in faith and do. And so we come to the the issue of God's sovereignty in answering prayer and then leading us and then our responsibility as his servants to obey and walk in the truth that he has laid forth for us. So then we're going to see that genuine faith, great faith works, works. It does. It works. 
You see, Nehemiah prayed and he trusted God's sovereignty over the circumstances, but yet we're going to see today he prepared and he was ready to step out in faith when God brought forth the answer to his prayer. And I venture to say a lot of us pray about things, but we don't prepare at the same time trusting the Lord. We don't prepare for when God gives us the answer, whatever it might be. We're not prepared for those things. We just wait on the Lord. Well, yes, we do wait on the Lord, but waiting on the Lord doesn't mean we don't do anything as we're going to see today. Nehemiah did do some things as we're going to see, and we're going to see his faith worked. So then, how are we to deal with impossible situations? Obviously, we need to pray. We saw that last week. But also, we need to wait patiently. Wait patiently. Chapter 2, verse 1, And it came about in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him, and I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. You remember back in chapter 1, verse 1, uh, it was the 20th year of Artaxerxes, this is the Persian king, in the month of Chislev, which would have, and he was in Susa, the capital, that's of Persia. And he was obviously functioning as the king's cupbearer at that time. Now, in chapter 1, we have that date, which would have been somewhere around November or December of 445 B.C. Now, some, now I'm saying it's 445, and then the next portion will be 444. There are some that say it's 446 and then 445, but it doesn't matter, okay? We, we know it happened. It's, I believe it's 445 and then into 444. So you have November, December, and now we see in chapter 2, it's been four to five months that he's been praying this, that he's been grieved over the circumstances of the Jews in the land. He's been grieved over the walls and the, and the, and the, the gates having been burned with fire. And he's been praying to the Lord. He's been praying. He's patient. He's waiting. He's a godly man. He has not stepped out on his own yet and done things. And we do that at times. We pray about something one or two times and we step out and go do it. Well, maybe the Lord is leading us to do it at that time, but maybe he is not. Maybe he's not. Nehemiah waited on the Lord, waited for the Lord to reveal the timing in which he would step forward and do what he needed to do. You see, we need to wait on the Lord to lead us. And as we're going to see, it's not simply leading us. We're preparing while he is doing so. Look at Psalm 25. Look at Psalm 25. David was always in difficulty, a lot of difficulty, and when he was in difficulty, he would share how he's waiting on the Lord to deliver him from those difficulties, trusting, waiting. And you see faith in the midst of that waiting. Psalm 25. A Psalm of David. To thee, O Lord, I lift up my soul, O my God, in thee I trust. There you go. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none of those who what wait for thee will be ashamed. We're waiting for God to act upon his character and promises. We're waiting for him to lead us in the right way, which we're praying about. Now, the timing is up to him, as we're going to see, but we're waiting. And those who wait for him are not going to be ashamed. But notice he says, those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. Make me know thy ways, O Lord. Teach me my pa- thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. For thee, for thee I wait all the day. Hey, I'm waiting, but I'm waiting, and I want you to teach me. I want you to lead me. I want you to guide me. It's not just simply waiting for an answer. He wants to be godly. He wants to be more like Christ. 
So we'll see the Christ that would would come from his loins. David being on him being in the seed of David of David's seed. And so then we have here him waiting. And then look at verse 19. Look upon my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with violent hatred. Guard my soul and deliver me. Do not let me be ashamed, for I take refuge in thee. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for thee. I wait for thee. Godly men teach uh, godly men want to be taught the word of God. They want to hear. They want to hear the word of God. But godly men wait, and then they're listening to the Lord through His word. Psalm twenty-seven: Teach me Thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. Verse fourteen of Psalm twenty-seven: Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Wait for Him. Be patient. Be patient. I read this earlier. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Psalm 37. Psalm 37, verse 9. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Wait for the Lord. Our hope is in the Lord. Psalm 39, verse 7. And now, Lord, for what do I wait? For why do I wait? My hope is in thee. My hope is in thee. We wait for the Lord. Turn to one other passage. Uh, Lamentations chapter 3. And while you're turning there, remember Psalm 130. I, I wait for the Lord, and in his word do I hope. I'm, I'm not just waiting in general. I'm hoping in what he said. I'm, I'm filling my soul with his word. I want to be taught his ways. It's not just stagnant waiting, as we'll see. Lamentations chapter 3, chapter three and this is where uh, Jeremiah is broken up and, and bitter, embittered over the destruction of Jerusalem. And he's talking about how bad it is. But he, then he says in verse 20, Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down before me. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who what? Who wait for him. He's good to those. Nehemiah is going to say later on, the hand of my good God led me. He's good to those who wait on him. To the person who seeks him, it is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. Seeking the Lord, seeking the Lord and his solution and his timing and his character so then, part of waiting on the Lord is, is, as we'll see, waiting on him in the context of seeking him and wanting to grow in his character, waiting on the Lord. Now, there's a timing also that we're going to see. We're going to see that part of waiting on the Lord is waiting on his timing, too. God's timing is perfect. We don't know what time is the right time to do things. God's timing is perfect. And at this point, the perfect timing came this day. This day, let's look at our passage. Actually, I'm going to read from 11, 111 on. O Lord, I beseech thee that thine ear might be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and the prayer of thy servants who delight to revere thy name and make thy servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. And it came about in the month of Nisan, 20th year of the king Artaxerxes, that wine was before him, and I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. 
Now, folks, I have to admit at times, so often our prayers and our eye prayers can be centered around us and God answering in, in our time or what we desire. But God's thoughts are not our thoughts, and God's ways are not our ways. And we need to realize often there are things that are way bigger than us that are connected to the answering of our prayers, which we seem are so self-focused or self-centered in a sense. We see the situation merely about us, and we're praying to him. That's right, we need to do that. But often there's more to it than just that. And that's the case with Nehemiah. That's the case with Nehemiah. This was a situation where the prayer, when it would be answered, had much more to do with some very huge things uh, the day that it would be answered, rather than just what Nehemiah was asking for. And you say, what do I mean? We'll turn to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. You see, God answers prayers according to his will and his determined time because there's much more going on than just what we see and understand. Daniel chapter 9, and I'm not going to explain this in detail. I could spend the whole hour on it. You'd probably still say, I'm not sure if I understand that, but I'm going to talk about it a little bit. Daniel chapter 9, and we're going to look at Daniel 70 weeks. And if you were with us when we went through Revelation, I spent a lot of time on that. We probably have some... CDs on that you can get. But in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel comes to understand from the book of Jeremiah that the um, completion of the desolation of Jerusalem would be 70 years. He comes to understand this, and then he is brought to his knees, and he prays. And his prayer is very instructive for us as he confesses iniquity and the corporate iniquity of Israel. And it's in the end of his prayer, we see that God gives him quite an interesting answer. Daniel chapter 9, let's look at verse 21 to start. While I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, that's an angel by the way, okay, whom whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. And he gave me instruction and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplication, with the, the, the command was issued, and I have come to you. Oh, this is great, this heavenly scene. He's praying, and all of a sudden there's a command in heaven issued, and he's respond to it. He says, I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. So give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. He's going to get an answer about, he's praying about Israel coming back into the land because of 70 years up. He's realized that from Jeremiah, it's 70 years, it's, it's coming up. And so he's praying, confessing sin. And then all of a sudden, this, this angel comes and is going to give him insight into these things. And this is really important because this helps us with our end times understanding, but it's also important for what we'll see today. 70 weeks, verse 24, have been decreed for your people, and your holy city. Again, I don't have time to explain this, but it's 70 weeks of years. I could have a week of days. A week of days is seven. A week of years is seven years. 70 weeks of seven years, that's 490 years. He's saying 490 years have been decreed, uh, and what for? For your people, that's the Jews, very clear. He doesn't say for the, the other, any other nations. He says, for your people, Daniel. Daniel was praying about Israel specifically. And for the holy city, that's Jerusalem. Okay? 
And then look at the middle of verse 24. He says, here's what's been decreed. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sin. What was Daniel praying about? We are such a sinful nation. We deserve what we got. You know, we, we are wicked, Lord. Forgive our sin. Well, here, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring an everlasting righteousness. That's salvation, by the way. Uh, to seal up vision and prophecy. No more need of that. And to anoint the most holy place. That that place would be anointed. It would be exalted. Seventy weeks of years have been decreed until the time in which Israel is saved and Jerusalem is exalted. Wow, this is pretty amazing, okay? So he's saying that. And we know that from other passages that all Israel will be saved. Uh, uh, Romans chapter 11. Seventy weeks to finish up the sin issue in Israel. Okay? And then look at verse 25. So you are to know and discern from the, now listen to this, the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Huh? Folks, we're going to see that's what the king does today when Nehemiah comes to him. What's going on is so much greater than just the small portion that is important, and God's going to answer the prayer, but there's something greater going on. And God's timing is perfect, and we need to wait for his timing because we don't know what other things are connected. We are not God. So he says here, from the issuing, he says here, uh, from, uh, let me find this here, from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. That's not the, that's not the temple. That's speaking of the, of the walls and the city, okay? He says here, until Messiah the Prince, that's the, that's the Messiah, that's the Christ, that's the Savior. The prince speaks of, of, of a royalty, speaks of, 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 of that, of, of leading in a sense. Messiah the prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Well, don't get caught up in that. What's seven plus 62? 69. 69 weeks of years. So from the decree that we'll see today in our passage to the time of Messiah the prince, there will be 490 years minus seven, 483 years. From this point, you could know when the Messiah would be on the earth. And this was back in the book of Daniel. Okay. Now, a little bit more here. It's kind of a little confusing because our years are 365 day years. Jewish years are 360 day years. And so if you work out all the details and you figure out exactly what it is, it appears that from this point, from our passage today, and 483 years, 360-day years, that that day of Messiah the Prince lines up with the day of the triumphal entry of the Lord Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. He came in as king. He was being seen. He funny. Remember he said, don't tell anyone I'm the Christ? Well, here they were saying, Hosanna. They were saying, this is the Christ. But they rejected him that day. They rejected him that day, and God's time clock with Israel was put on hold, and he went to the Gentiles. There's seven years left. That's the last weeks, and we'll see that later on in Daniel. You can look at that later. That's the seven-year tribulation. But my point is, this decree is extremely important for the timing of Jesus Christ, the Savior, when he came and revealed himself to be the King of kings and Lord of lords, but they rejected him, but they rejected him. So then, as we go back to our passage, uh, there's a lot there in Daniel. don't have time to go through all that. But folks, we need to wait on the Lord. 
we need to realize that things that happen, uh, may, God may be delaying that answer because he's got something way bigger and way different on his mind because he's God. And we are simply thinking about our issues. And now our issues may be godly. Uh, his issue, Nehemiah, was a godly issue. He wanted to do the right thing. He was praying for the right thing. And he waited. He waited because he was following the Lord. And when the right time came, uh, he was used by the Lord. And that leads to our second thing. Well, before that, first of all, we need to be waiting on the Lord. Don't give up. Don't give up your prayers. Don't give up. Now, we're going to see we need to prepare during that time, but don't give up. You know, if you're in a crisis that's by and large not your fault, if it is, confess, whatever it might be, but if not your fault, difficult situation, physical issue, a ministry issue, problem with marriage, relational difficulty, and God is seemingly not answering your prayer, don't give up. Trust the Lord and wait on him. There may be much more going on on your request in the way that he answers in that prayer. Trust the Lord. Leave it in his sovereign hands. But as we're going to see, we shouldn't just be laying around, laying around. We should be doing what the Lord has called us to do, preparing for that time when he answers that prayer. Otherwise, we might miss that window of opportunity in the answer. We need to be ready for when the Lord answers. So we're waiting on the Lord. But notice, we need to also be walking with the Lord. You got to be walking with the Lord. You know, if you're praying for the Lord to do something, you're praying, praying, praying. If you're not walking with the Lord, you're not going to be ready for his answer. You're going to be ready for his answer. He may not even answer. Notice our passage again. And it came about in the month of Nisan, 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him. And I took the wine and gave it to the king. He was the cupbearer, right? He tests the wine. He drinks it first. You know, and if it's good, he doesn't fall over and die. Then the king takes it, right? You know, he's, he's protecting the king, right? And so then he says here, Now look at this. Uh, Now I had not been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, why is your face sad though you were not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs lies desolate and its gates have been burned or have been consumed by fire we're going to see he is walking with the lord and that leads him to respond wisely wisely he is thinking through he is preparing in advance what he's going to share and he's walking with the lord now notice this it says now i had not been sad in his presence so the king said why is your face sad though you are not sick this is nothing but sadness of heart now this is a hard portion to interpret or understand completely but I think the main point is obvious. You see, because there were those in official service, and if, and if you were in official service or anything to do with the court, if you were sad, you were killed. Things needed to be happy. There's actually a Persian law. You could not be sad in, in the presence. You had to put on a happy face before the king. And so this was a very serious thing, a very serious thing. If you had a bad attitude, you were removed or killed. You know, the king was in full authority, full authority. And so then, you were not allowed to be sad. So Nehemiah here, now the obvious question is, is Nehemiah putting this on so that he can get an an opening with the king? What's going on here? What's going on? This is hard to figure out, but, you know, is he sad? Um, So the purpose the king will ask him, why? 
That's a pretty risky thing, okay? Uh, that's a pretty risky thing. Or is it at the point, as he knows he's going before the king, it's all bearing down on him? Four months of, of grief over the situation, and he just can't hide it at this point. Well, what's going on here? Well, for whatever reason, Nehemiah's sadness has not shown before, but it was coming out here, and the king was very observant. This guy's a sharp cookie, by the way, this king. You'll see in what he asks, the questions, he comes forth. And there's no, no wonder he's the king. He said, now I had not been sad in his presence, so the king said to me, why is your face sad, though you were not sick? He's very observant. Uh, this is nothing but sadness of heart. He's very intuitive. King's observant. He understood exactly what's going on. He says, this is sadness of heart. It's sadness of heart. And notice Nehemiah's response. Then I was very much afraid. Um, we're not sure exactly why he's very much afraid, but I think there's a lot of reasons. One, he already knows he's going to ask the king at this point. He's planned to come before him. He's asked for compassion and favor, right? He's also now realized that the king's seen him being sad. That's not legal. That's not good. You're in trouble there, right? So he is very afraid, very much afraid. And so then, Nehemiah, being very much afraid, understands what the king could do. He's very afraid. He's afraid of circumstances, probably in that sense. We all would be afraid in situations like that. But if you're walking with the Lord, you're trusting him, we'll see what someone like that does. Notice he is ready and he is wise in what he says. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and the gates have been consumed by fire? This answer is extremely wise, by the way, and it's, 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 it's extremely wise. He says, let the king live forever. I am loyal to you, king. I am loyal to you. Let the king live forever. And now he's going to say, why shouldn't my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies, lies desolate and the gates have been consumed by fire? And you say, how is that so wise? How is that so wise? Well, did you notice something missing in what he said there? He didn't mention the name Jerusalem. He didn't say Jerusalem. And also he mentioned his father's tombs. He's very wise in how he's coming to the king here. You see, it's quite possible the word Jerusalem would have made this king get a little eerie. You know why? Well, look at Ezra chapter 4. You see, because it's apparent earlier, bad guys tried to stop the rebuilding of the walls and stuff and, the, and, the, and the, the gates. When Ezra was there, they tried to stop it, and they, they, they sent a thing to the king saying, hey, they're rebellious, they're all this stuff, and we'll see that. And so the king put a stop order on it. And it was because Jerusalem is a town that gets out of control. You see? Let's take a look at that. Ezra chapter um, 4, and let's take a look at verse 7. Now, in Ezra chapter 4, it is, between Ezra 1 and 6, it is about the first, the first uh, uh, departure back. But in chapter 4, that chapter is specifically about the opposition. And so it shows opposition at three different timetables. Okay? And this is in the middle, or this is in the middle portion, or the last portion. Now, notice he says here, Ezra 4, 7, In the days of Artaxerxes, Bish, Bishlam, Mithrodoth, Tebow, and the rest of the colleagues wrote to Artaxerxes, king of Persia, 
and the text of the letter was written in Aramaic, translated, written in Aramaic and translated from Aramaic. Rehem, the commander, and Shimshai, the scribe, wrote the letter against Jerusalem to King Artaxerxes as follows. Now, now skip down to verse, verse 11 for now. We've got a lot here, but... Uh, uh, this copy of the letter was which they sent to him. To King Artaxerxes, your servants, the men in the region beyond the river, and now let it be known to the king that the Jews who came up from you have come to us at Jerusalem, and they are rebuilding the rebellious and evil city, and they are finishing the walls and repairing the foundations. Uh-oh. This is, uh, no, this is evil opposition, okay? Okay, here. And he says here, uh, and this would be under the work of Ezra, by the way, just 13 years earlier, okay? And this is the same king that they're writing to, okay? Okay? And so he says, now let it be known to the king that the city is rebuilt, the walls are finished, they will not pay tribute, custom, or toil, and it will damage the revenue of the king. Now, because we are in the service of the palace and it is not fitting for us to see the king's dishonor, therefore we have sent and informed the king so that a search may be made in the record books of your fathers, and you will discover in the record books and learn that the city is a rebellious city, a damaging to kings and provinces, and that they have incited revolt within the past days. Therefore, it's a city, the city was laid waste. We inform the king that if the city is rebuilt, the walls are finished. As a result, you will have no possession in the province beyond the river. These are evil lies, by the way. And he's even going to use the fact of Israel's failures before to substantiate these lies, by the way. And the king sent an answer to Rahim the commander, to Shemeshai the scribe, and to the rest of their colleagues who were living in Samaria and the rest of the province beyond the river, peace. And now the document which you sent to us has been translated and read before us. And a decree has been issued by me, and a search has been made, and it has been discovered that the city has risen up against the kings in past days, that rebellion and revolt have have uh, perpetrated have uh, perpetrated uh, in in it that kings might have that mighty kings have ruled over Jerusalem governing all the provinces beyond the river then tribute custom and toll were paid to them so now issue a decree to make these men stop work that the city may not be rebuilt until the decree is issued by me and so we have uh, him doing a stop work there and it's because he looked it up, and the city's a bunch of rebels, basically. And so Jerusalem doesn't have a very good name in the king's ears, okay? And so he is very wise. He is very wise to not mention Jerusalem, and he's also very wise to talk about the place of his father's tombs. Uh, the Persians would have reverence for their dead ancestors, and he is being very wise. He's not being deceitful. He's being extremely wise in coming before the king. Extremely wise. And so back in our passage, he says, let the king live forever. And why should my face not be sad when, when the, the, the city, the place of my father's tombs, he doesn't say Jerusalem, the place of my father's tombs lies desolate, gates have been consumed by fire. And so then, this leads to the point that we need to have, in a sense, a preparation for what we're going to say in situations when God answers prayers. We need to prepare we need to be thinking about what we might say we need, when God opens the door. We pray for open doors. We pray, 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 and then we're not ready. Nehemiah is wisely ready. Now, uh, we've got to trust the Lord, as we're going to see. Nehemiah could have come out and spoken really wrongly. He could have said, uh, said you know, uh, 
why shouldn't I be sad? Because you made a decree to stop the work and the gates are burned down and everyone's demoralized. It's all your fault, right? He doesn't say anything like that at all. The king is not insulted in any way. He's being extremely wise. He's not being deceitful either. So we need to respond wisely. And notice that comes from the fact that Nehemiah is walking with the Lord. Look back at Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 4. Then the king said to me, what would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I love this. We could stop here and, and say amen. This is a tremendous portion. Nehemiah is a good guy. Now the king is a smart guy also. He's a discerning man. He cuts right to the chase. What would be your request? He cuts right to it. He's very discerning. And Nehemiah throws up a prayer in the moment. So I prayed to the God of heaven. That's what people do when they're walking with the Lord. If you're walking with the Lord, when situations come, boom, you throw up a prayer to the Lord. You are walking with him. You're asking for it. Someone says something, you go, Lord, help me. Give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. How to respond, Lord. You know, whatever it might be. When you're walking with the Lord, you have an ongoing conversation. And Nehemiah probably prayed something like this. Lord, give me wisdom what to say. Give me the words to say. You know, he prayed to the Lord. And he had bathed us in prayer beforehand, by the way, also. So in moments like these, we could go blank. We could lose our train of thought. We could forget what we want to say. Uh, we could even say something that's wrong. Maybe because we haven't prepared. Or we're not those who are in a constant pattern of walking with the Lord and going before him, asking for wisdom in every circumstance. Nehemiah's walking with the Lord. It said, he says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. To the God of heaven. You see, for your faith to work, you must be believing and trusting in the Lord. And Nehemiah's prayer reveals that. He, he reveals that. Nehemiah's faith is going to work, but it's based on the fact that God is working in him. He's, and he's praying, right? So do you live this way, a constant conversation with the Lord? You know, things arise in your life. You're, you're throwing prayers out right away to the God of heaven. You're throwing up those two-second prayers. Give me wisdom how to respond. Help me not to react this way. Whatever it might be, Lord. Grant me understanding so I might respond the right way. Lord, forgive me for what I just thought. Whatever it might be. Is your life like this? Nehemiah's was. Nehemiah's was. So then he's walking with the Lord and he's being wise. But notice, this is really important. When we are waiting for God to answer our prayers, good prayers, godly prayers, things according to his will, things, uh, Lord, help my marriage. Uh, Lord, help uh, my children. Uh, Lord, help my work in this situation. Lord, help me in these difficulties uh, with, with, uh, with uh, my boss. Or whatever it might be. Things where you're, you're really praying for that. We need to be prepared in advance for when God opens the door to actually help us. So often we're not, but Nehemiah was. Look at what he says here, verse uh, 5. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king and your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah. He doesn't say Jerusalem, does he? Send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. He knows exactly what he's asking for. And he asks in a way that is very wise. Here again, with respect and honor, Nehemiah shows the king in his answer. 
if it pleases the king and your servant has found favor. And by the way, he has found favor. He has been a good servant. Don't expect God to answer prayers before people if you've been a bad employee. You're praying and praying that your boss would give you a raise to help with whatever it might be or to lessen this or, or help this or this, and you're not a good employee. Don't expect God to answer those prayers if you haven't found favor. You're not even working well under the, under the Lord with your boss. So he says here, if your servant has found favor before you, and his request is pretty straightforward, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. So now I'd like to talk about Nehemiah's preparation here. He knows what to ask when God opened the door. He was prepared You know, we have all these prayer requests we have together, and it's good, but are we prepared, ready for the answer? Are we ready for when God does it, or are we just sitting back waiting for God to do something? We don't even know what he's going to do. One thing I want to mention is, obviously, he's walking with the Lord. He has favor with the king because his grace is upon him, but he's been doing a good job. Nehemiah has been a good cupbearer, a good cupbearer. So then if we're walking rightly, doing our jobs, confessing sins, uh, doing, training our children, loving our wives, serving faithfully in the body of Christ, doing what we should be doing while we're waiting on the Lord. We should be doing those things. Then the king said to me, this is verse 6, the queen sitting beside him. Interesting little note there. Uh, some have made a wrong, made a wrong uh, interpretation that that's Esther. This is one generation past. Um, but uh, the queen sitting, maybe the queen nudged him, you know, the queen sitting beside, you know, (laughs) right? And so the king said to me, queen sitting beside him, uh, how long will your journey be and when will you return? Pretty basic question that Nehemiah needs to be prepared to answer, prepared to answer in advance, in advance, in advance. And notice he says, uh, so it pleased so it pleased the king to send me. Notice what he says here. And I gave him a definite time. I gave him a definite time. I gave him a definite time. Nehemiah was a valued servant of the king. He's asking for how long he'll be gone. Now, Nehemiah was a slave. He wasn't free to do whatever he wanted. He was a slave. Now, he wasn't caught up in the slavery issue. He, he was serving the Lord as the slave. And he gives him a definite time. I'll be back at this time. He understands that. He knew. He was ready for it. How many times has God opened doors for us and we're like, uh, I don't, I'm not sure. Well, let me think about it. You know, Nehemiah knew. Nehemiah knew. And so, folks, I praise the Lord. It pleased the king to send him. This is an answer to prayer. This is an answer to prayer. And then look at verse, verse uh, 7. He doesn't stop with his request. He's thought it through. He's thought it through. And I said to the king, if it pleased the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the provinces beyond the river that they might allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he might give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city, and for the house to which I will go. He has done his homework. He even knows the name of the gatekeeper. Asaph, he's done his homework. And that should cause us to be ashamed at times. We don't do our homework. We don't do the work that we should be doing in preparation for the answer that God is going to do. We're not diligent in that. And it's walking by faith if we are doing those things. So he was thoroughly ready 
thoroughly prepared for when the Lord opened the door. And we need to learn for that because not only during those four months did Nehemiah pray, he prepared. He prepared for what the Lord might answer. Folks, living by faith doesn't mean that we're not prepared. Doesn't mean that we don't just, we just wing it or whatever, you know? He expects us to use the intellect that we have, the giftings we have, the abilities in the context of relying on him. It's not because of those things that anything gets done, but he uses those things as we trust in him, as we trust in him. Nehemiah's plans were in the context of his faith working, and he was ready as he's walking with the Lord for God when God opened the door. And for some of us, we need to do our homework or we're going to miss the door of opportunity when the Lord answers our prayer. Some of you want to serve Christ. You want to move to serve Christ. Be prepared for all the things that might come. Looking for work, getting prepared for it, taking classes, whatever it might be, so that you don't walk into a situation where you're not prepared, but the whole time you knew you needed a job. Get prepared. Do that. When the Lord opens the door. Work situations, what about for parents? You're praying about your children. You're praying for your, you're praying for adult sons that are not following the Lord or daughters. Are you prepared when God opens the door to talk to them? Have you been in the word of God? Are you preparing what you're going to say in advance when your son or daughter says, I need to talk to you, dad? Are you prepared? You're praying for that, but are you prepared? You're praying for a relative that's not saved and God opens the door. Are you ready in advance to share with them? You've been praying for months, whatever it might be. This should cause some of us to confess that we have not been prepared. We prayed a lot, but we haven't been prepared and we need to be prepared. How are we to deal with impossible situations? We need to pray. We need to wait on the Lord. We need to walk with the Lord and we need to be ready for his answer. We need to be ready for his answer. You're having problems in your marriage and you're praying that you'll be able to have a conversation that would be profitable. Are you prepared in the word? Are you ready to to lay forth those things that God would have you lay forth in a way that is glorifying to God that God would use to open that door and answer your prayer? So then... Nehemiah trusted the Lord. He waited patiently. He prayed. He walked with the Lord. He was ready. He was prepared when the Lord opened the door. How are we to deal with impossible situations? Pray. Wait on the Lord. Things are bigger than what we think they are. Much bigger. Um, We need to walk with the Lord. We need to be prepared for his answer. We need to allow, he, he gives us brains, he gives us intellect, he gives us experience, he gives us those things. Use those in the context of trusting him, not your own wisdom, and prepare. And then notice uh, what will happen if you've done these things. Verse 8, and the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me. He doesn't say, well, I certainly prepared well. I'm so glad I did all that preparation. I'm so glad I went and figured out who the king's timber guy was. I'm so glad I did all this. I'm sure glad I waited. He doesn't say that. Because those were things he did when he was trusting the Lord. And so it was all the Lord through him in that. And he says, because the good hand of my God was on me. 
you know, we have times here, and my, my heart shudders at times, where people pray for certain things, and I'm thinking, well, you, there's things you should be doing that can certainly help in that area, and I don't hear that in your life. We need to be prepared. And if we do do that, then God gets all the glory because his good hand was upon Nehemiah. Nehemiah is following the Lord. Following the Lord. You see, you'll know when your faith has worked uh, when you give God all the glory. When you go, it was all him. The good hand of God was on me. We have an example of Nehemiah. He waited for the Lord. We need to wait for his time and his timing because his desires and will are way beyond us. We need to walk with the Lord, confessing sin. We fail. Praying, throwing up those prayers. Lord, help me. Lord, give me wisdom. In the moment, we're walking with the Lord in those circumstances. Our, our conversations are causing us to pray. To pray. And we need to prepare for his answer. And lastly, when he answers, if we've been trusting him, if it's, his, if it's our faith in him that's being manifest, then he'll get all the glory. The good hand of my God was upon me. We need to be praying. If you're not, confess. We need to be waiting on the Lord. If you're not, confess. We need to be walking with him. If you're not, confess. Uh, we need to be preparing for his answer. If you're not, confess. If these things are important enough to bring before the Lord, they're important enough for him to use the intellect and skills and abilities and things he's placed in your life to prepare for them. I praise the Lord we're here in South Carolina, and it's by his good hand I can say that every detail was worked out, that he answered prayers over and over and over again in his timing. And I praise him for that. And it's a wonderful thing when you see God's hand moving and answering prayers, and you look back and you say, the good hand of the Lord was on me. Can you say that? Can you say that in answered prayer in your life? Can you say it was because of his good hand upon you? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the example of Nehemiah, a godly man. Lord, and we can learn so much that we would be, that we would persevere and be encouraged and that we would have hope. Lord, help us to be those who bring things before you, who pray diligently, who wait upon you who walk with you, Lord God, but who also allow you to prepare through us for the answer that you have. Lord, I pray for anyone here who has seen failure in any of these areas, and we all have at times, that to just confess, be forgiven, and be diligent to be ready and prepared for the answer that you have for these prayers that are your will, the ones that are your will, Lord God. Lord, we thank you so much. You're so good to us. You're so kind. I thank you for your good hand being on Nehemiah. And I thank you for your good hand being on us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.